Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. As we look at how we can best keep the economy rolling, entrepreneurs thriving, businesses growing, and everyone on that upward mobility path, uh, we often talk about regulation and how that often inhibits a host of things. Utah, of course, got rid of some rules and regulations a few years ago. Uh, they did that through something called a regulatory sandbox. And we wanted to break that down for a little bit. Saying, why does a regulatory sandbox matter to me? Uh, you'd be surprised at how many different ways it could impact you, what you're paying for goods and services, or what your neighbors may be doing in, in launching a business or trying to, to make a living for themselves. And so we're really pleased to have joining us back on the show again, uh, James Chernosky as a senior policy analyst at Americans for Prosperity. James, thanks for hopping on with us today. Thanks for having me, Boyd. Uh, so first for our listeners, just break that down a little bit. What, what is the regulatory sandbox? It sounds like a cool name, but uh, what does that actually mean? Yeah, it's definitely, a, it's definitely a cool name, and it's not an actual sandbox that children play in, despite the, the vivid imagery that pops up every time uh, when people think about this. No, what a regulatory sandbox is, is it's, a, it's an environment that allows for entrepreneurs and regulators to work hand-in-hand to identify regulations that might be problematic for a business to provide a certain good or service and to temporarily waive those uh, particular regulations for a period of time and have the regulator just overwatch this company while they're participating in the process and see what happens. And if, you know, nothing happens to consumers in terms of harm, then perhaps we can go and revisit whether or not those regulations are needed at the current level that, that they're at or whether or not we can remove them altogether or just, you know, refine them down to something less onerous than what's currently on the books. Uh, I think that's so important, and I, I love the the added imagery, not just of the sandbox, uh, but of regulators and entrepreneurs or businesses working hand-in-hand hand, uh, to figure out what is working and what is not. Because often we do find uh, that some of these regulations are just very onerous. Some of them are, are just outdated. And uh, walk us through that just a little bit. It's almost it's almost like a pilot program uh, in terms of waiving something that's been there for a while or something new that's been implemented. Uh, tell us uh, maybe yeah. an example of, of how we see that play out. Yeah, I think that it's, it's, it's very common sense when you think about it in practical terms. So a, a great example is we just went through this, you know, horrible pandemic where especially in the early stages, there were some rules and regulations in place that were actually – getting in the way of empowering businesses to provide goods and services to folks um, that they would otherwise desperately need. So a great example of this, which actually was true in Utah, was that early in the pandemic, there was a shortage of hand sanitizer. Now, there are plenty of distilleries in Utah that could have the material to go and produce that hand sanitizer, 
but they could not do it legally speaking without getting special permission from the Food and Drug Administration. And it turned out that, you know, they they were able to go and get all that sorted out. But then the FDA came back around later and tried fighting them for doing this because it was technically violating the law. Uh, thankfully, that, that situation was resolved. There were no fines given out. But it really highlights a very basic example of how there was a problem in the marketplace. Uh, there was a legitimate shortage of a good or service. There was an alternative that was out there. Uh, but rules and regulations got in the way of businesses being able to fill that gap in a more timely manner than was otherwise possible. Another great example that I like to think about that people don't always uh, think about in terms of everyday life is with our logistics system. Uh, the ports in the United States are extremely out of date when it comes to how they're managed and run. And this was evident with the Port of Los Angeles, which was not operating 24 hours a day. So you had this infamous picture of boats going out for miles and why? It's because of things like the Jones Act, which I know some other guests in the past, maybe like Shoshana, might have talked about. Um, and, and then unions going and limiting how the hours work there. And little things like that actually make a huge difference in a, in a country's ability to go and supply itself, to be able to go and get those goods and services to where they need to be, right? So that's why this kind of stuff is important, because we don't know about this, and we need a faster and more flexible response than what we currently have. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, some people that are critical of, of this approach to it, some say there's not enough transparency or uh, or even that it might give one company a competitive advantage over the other. Uh, is that a fair critique or, or what do we need to do to make sure we have that transparency? Uh, often we know the big companies that can afford uh, an army of lawyers and lobbyists uh, can, can work their way through much faster and better than a, a startup or a small company. Uh, what's the right way in terms of the transparency component of this to yeah. make sure it's a level playing field? Yeah, I think that that's a, I think it's a great question. I think that basically what it comes down to it's having a process where, uh, you know, whenever someone's in the sandbox, if someone's applied, et cetera, that kind of stuff is readily available. Uh, and a great example of looking at this is that Utah's legal services uh, sandbox, where you can see this information readily available for you, where right now they have 39 participants. They've had 61 people that are approved and just waiting to get through the process. you got 19,000 people, goods and services, so you can see how many people have actually gotten services, what's the harm that they've been exposed to. Like that kind of data is actually really informative, but you know, part of this is just that some of the programs are pretty early on. So it's more like it needs to have a time to kind of mature and attract companies so that we can see those use cases highlight out a little bit better because what's happened with the legal services one particularly is great. And, and why that matters in that instance is that, for example, with, with the legal services industry, one of the oldest rules on the books, which is so ridiculous when you think about it, is that you cannot go and own a legal firm in any of the states, pretty much, until the sandbox came about, if you were not a lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. And the sandbox approach allowed for non-lawyer ownership of firms. Now, this allowed for unique opportunities for people to uh, become partial stake owners in law firms that, that wouldn't otherwise have been possible. It allowed for a little bit more flexibility in how services were being delivered. Uh, and 47%, I believe, is what the last report said of all the use cases of that sandbox is to go and help military vets with their VA benefits, which I think is something that's very admirable as much as it is an indictment on the VA. So it, it's a good reminder to go and show just how many flaws there are in the system, and it's a great way of giving a more targeted solution to those problems that we're facing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, you, you raise such an important point as it relates to, to veterans, that, uh, that a lot of these benefits are going uh, to veterans as it relates to these legal services. Uh, anything else you see out there or anything on the horizon that would make this program even better? Uh, and again, making sure we're empowering 
protecting consumers, of course, uh, is part of the deal, and then make sh- making sure we're empowering entrepreneurs and business owners uh, to do what they do best as well. Yeah, I think there's a lot of really promising things out there that we're seeing both on the global stage and on the federal level. So we've seen similar things uh, getting introduced at the federal level, whether it's more targeted in nature to focus on things like cryptocurrency, which I know we've spoken about before, or more broadly, like what you talked about with its universal style uh, program. Uh, we've seen things pop up with insurance, things pop up with fintech, obviously. Uh, the other interesting one that I'm starting to see pop up a little bit more here and there now is surrounding energy, uh, which I think is kind of important when we're thinking about how can we have a more market-oriented solution to the climate uh, the climate change problem that this, this world is facing right now. Uh, because right now there are a lot of regs that actually make it very difficult for us to come up with expedient ways of dealing with this. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, just another great way of trying to highlight good innovations that can theoretically help out the consumers and empower innovation and and hopefully solve some problems that the public is facing in the process. So I think that there's a lot of really good potential use cases out there, but it requires a lot of time and investment and patience and and development for these programs to become successful. Yeah, fantastic. James James Jarnowski, thank you so much for joining us. Senior Policy Analyst at Americans for Prosperity. Great insight, as always, on that regulatory sandbox. Uh, It does make a difference in your world. A lot of good things happening here in the state of Utah that should be replicated uh, across the country as well. All right, that does it for hour number one of Inside Sources. Stay with us. Hour number two coming up after Top of the Hour News. Choice for 100 years. Read my lips. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. We're the station for breaking news, traffic, and weather together, and conversation about important stories. KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. Thank you for 100 years of trust from KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.